0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in 1 Timothy. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that you have once again brought us into this place to receive your word and your gift. Lord God, you are a God who seeks us out, who finds us, and you you bring us home. Help us, Lord, to know of your mercy and love. And grant us Your Holy Spirit this day to know of our forgiveness. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just saw Jeff walk behind me, and that was a little weird. All right, let's let's do this. All right, so uh, there comes a time, every single Thursday. When I, Thursday is my sermon writing day and there there's, comes a time every single Thursday where I walk out of my office and I look at the office staff and I let them know that I've got nothing and they need to write the sermon for me. I do it every week. It's not funny to them anymore, but I still do it. Well, this week was no different. I was out of my writer's block. I really had nothing. And so I walked out in the office and I said, all right, ladies, here's the deal. In the office at this time were uh, Debbie and Catherine and our our dear organist over here, Kathy Bainham. And and I said, here's what I need this week. I can't come up with anything, but I'm not asking you to write the whole thing, just a one-page essay. If I could get one-page essays from each of you, that should be enough for the sermon. And so uh, Kathy, who's very helpful, she says all right so what's the topic like this is going well here we go i said the topic this week is sinners sinners now Catherine, who was not exactly in the room didn't hear me say sinners but immediately belts out well just have debbie do it she's great at that stuff so now we know who the chief sinner is in the office Uh, We all got a big kick out of that. It was kind of funny. But it was actually very helpful for us this week. They actually put together this first opening illustration for the sermon. So it all worked out very well. Because though Catherine didn't hear me say sinners, and she didn't really know what she was saying, and it was kind of this funny set of circumstances, what she did there is so often what we do when we start thinking about the topic of sinners, we point at someone else, Right? When you think of those, we are going to to do this today. We're going to talk about sinners. Now, when you think of sinners, what comes to mind? Who are you pointing at? What group, what person, what people come to your mind when you think of sinners? Now, I know your answer because you're all good Christians, and you're going to say, well, pastor, we're all sinners, and all sin is equal. Good for you. You passed the test. But now, seriously, who do you think of? Maybe I should ask the question this way. What person in your life, what group in the society, what organization in the culture keeps you up at night? Who are you afraid is ruining things? Who's ruining the culture around us? Who's ruining our our work life, our home life? Who is it that comes to mind when you think of sinners? And I know none of us, when we're honest here is going to give some kind of generalized, well, we're all sinners. No, there is that one group, that one person. There's there's those people that we point to and we say, those are the sinners that are ruining everything. Now, if you need help with this little exercise of who to come up with, St. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, gives you help today. He gives us a whole list of sinners that we should probably be worried about. 1 Timothy, if you you don't know, it's a marvelous letter in the New Testament where Paul, this great apostle, is writing to a a young pastor of sorts, trying to help him figure out how he is going to establish ministry in a certain location. And in this particular part of the book, 1 Timothy, he's writing to this pastor about God's law and the function or the role, what God's law does in a congregation, what God's law does in this world. The law being any rule or instruction or guideline given to us from the Bible. God's will for our conduct in this world. You might think of it that way. And so what is the function of the law? And Paul says, here's how you use the law lawfully. This is what he writes. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, that is the righteous, but for the lawless. And the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The law, Paul says, is used lawfully when it is laid down against those sinners. And so we start going through the list and we start to recognize how much we think we agree with the law on this. And we start to look at that list and we say, all right, so which one is the worst? Which one do I think is the worst sinner here on the list? And what's fascinating as you read through Paul's list there is that the sins he's talking about, nothing has changed. What's Ecclesiastes say? There's nothing new under the sun. We got the same uh, problems in our society that they had in their society. So just look at the list here for a moment. He speaks of murderers and the sexually immoral. We live in a society right now that has been deemed a culture of death, where we look at the ending of the life in the womb as a means to freedom. The sexually immoral, it's become a joke to talk about sex remaining in the bedroom between married people. That's almost laughed about. Paul talks about those who strike their fathers and their mothers. And we can think of physical attacks there, but we can also think just of the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, and complete disregard for parents, disregard for authority, disregard for anybody in a position that is is above us. This is one of those sins that I don't think we all realize was really a sin until we had our own kids. you know. And now we're like, oh yeah, disobeying mother and father, that's a big problem. (laughs) In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, for us here in this country, sometimes it feels like a national past. He speaks of those who are enslavers, people who dehumanize others for their own personal gain, uh, to make money or to give themselves a better position. Uh, They may enslave someone else or just use someone else for their own ends. We talk about this as good business practice. Men, and we can include women here, who practice homosexuality. Just look at our culture. And over the course of less than a decade, we've gone from a conversation that says what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom, to saying this is a viable form of marriage, to now saying we can't even define what gender is. Then, of course, we have liars and perjurers on the list. And I don't really know how else to say this, but um, those are the people we all tend to vote for. So, on and on the list goes. So who's the worst? Which sinner do you worry about? Which of these is ruining your country, your family, your work, your life? It would be interesting, I think, to ask St. Paul this question. What does he think? Who's the worst one on the list? But you know what? As it turns out, I don't have to think too long and hard about that because Paul actually gives us his answer today. He tells us in the text who he thinks the worst one in the conversation is. It's a fascinating text. Listen to what he says. He says this this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the foremost now how about that after walking through this whole list of all these big bad terrifying sins paul says i look at the list and i'll tell you what you know the worst one is in here it's me I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the foremost sinner. Now, I think Paul says this to us for a a number of reasons. First, he tells us very explicitly in the text why he sees himself as the foremost sinner. Because he says, I lived a life of blasphemy. That is, I did not believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord. I didn't trust him to be my Savior. Paul was not one of these sort of... uh, um, Ra- uh, crass immoral sinners rather he was a very moral sinner he was very religious he was what he said a pharisee of pharisees he obeyed what he thought was god's law to a T, and he looked better than everyone else and in so doing he attacked and went after and accused and prosecuted and persecuted those who confessed jesus christ and this looked like good works to the world around him But as he reminds us in another place, he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So that no matter how good it looks to the world, if it doesn't come from faith in Christ, it's sin. Not only did Paul's life not come from faith in Christ, he persecuted those and attacked those and sought to silence those sinners who did have faith in Christ. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees and spent his time accusing those who had faith in Jesus. But I think there's another reason why Paul tells us today that he's the chief of sinners, that he's the foremost. Because as he looks at the law of God, and he uses the law of God lawfully, he stands before that law and he recognizes this reality, that he stands before the law of God, accused, guilty, and condemned. Because in his own life, Paul is the chief of sinners. Before the law of God, Paul is the chief of sinners. Paul is a good instructor for us here. Because as it turns out, Paul is the chief of sinners in his life. But not yours. And all of these people that we just listed, these liars and perjurers and practitioners of sexual immorality and parent strikers and blasphemers and sinners, they're all sinners and they're the biggest sinners in their own lives but not yours. In your life, according to the law of God, the chief sinner is you. You are the worst sinner in your own life because you don't have to give account for their sins. They do. You're answerable to God's law for your own sins. And as you look at the law of God, what it does when it is used lawfully is it accuses you and exposes your sin in your own life. You are the worst sinner in your own life. You can't have anybody else answer for that. And you don't answer for anyone else. But I think this is why we try to accuse. I think this is why we like sitting in a seat of judgment, because it makes us feel like we're not as bad. We don't want to use the law lawfully to bring it upon ourselves to recognize our own sin. Rather, we would like to use the law unlawfully, as the, foreign, as the Pharisees would do, as St. Paul would do. We want to use the law to accuse others, to go down that list and recognize how they are all the problem in society. If only people were more like me, everything would be okay. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago we call this justification by comparison or perhaps better said justification by deflection at least i'm not as bad as they are according to the law but you see that's not a phrase the law will ever let you use because the law of god is never used lawfully when it's used to justify yourself in your actions, either before god or before anyone else The law was not given to you so you could compare yourself with others. The law was given to you so that you would compare yourself with it and recognize that you have no hope before God according to the law. You have no hope in this life according to the law because the law, what it does is it gets its hands on you and it accuses you and it exposes your sin and it leaves you dead. And so this is why we try and flee from the law. We try and get away from God's law. We try and get away from rules and and we give these false words to such fleeing. We call it like freedom or something like this, but that's not freedom. You see, here's the deal. You can't actually escape the law. We run from it because we think, oh, I just don't want to feel bad for the sins I've done, or we run from it because we want to keep doing the sins that we're committing. But the reality is you can't escape it. You cannot escape God's law. You cannot escape His judgment. So what are we to do well there's nothing you really can do before the law it's just it's going to get you it's going to leave you dead in your sins and trespass that's what the law does and that's what it does when it's used lawfully but we have great hope yet for christ has another word and the reality is we need this law because christ can only raise us back to life once we're dead Christ will only forgive our sins once we're guilty. And so the law leaves us guilty and dead so Jesus can raise us and forgive us. And you see, this is why Paul says this is a saying that is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom Paul says, I am the foremost. And if he can forgive me, he goes on to say. He can forgive anybody on that list. If he can forgive me, he can forgive you. And not only can he, this is why he's come. To actually do it. To forgive you for being the chief sinner in your own life. There's this wonderful uh, account I heard of a pastor. The pastor's name was was Kenneth Corby. He's kind of known uh, in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod circles. Um, He was a, he was a, theologian who was very passionate about this idea of confession and absolution that, that what we do at the beginning of the service where we confess our sins and then we hear of our forgiveness well pastor corby was once uh invited to be a vacancy preacher at a black church a small black lutheran church uh in new york and so he went there and he decided that one sunday he was going to do the confession and absolution a little bit differently than he'd done it before he said here's what i want you to do today guys i want you to take your hymnals out and we're going to go to the ten commandments there in, the ten, there in the hymnal, you will have the small catechism. We're, we're going to walk through all of the commandments and their explanation. I'll read the commandment, you'll read the explanation, and after each commandment, we're going to spend a few minutes meditating on what God expects of us. And they did that for all ten commandments. It was probably like the longest confession time ever in a church. By the time they were done, the, the, the entire congregation was filled with tears. Like they were overwhelmed. Because all of their sins were just laid before them. And the law was just crushing them. And they had nowhere to run. They had nobody to to deflect to. They couldn't compare themselves with anyone else. Because it was just them and the law and their sin. And then at that point, Corby went out. And he invited each person up to the altar individually. And he placed his hands on their head. And he said, In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I declare to you that all of your sins are forgiven and he did that for every single person there in the sanctuary that day and you can just imagine the celebration and the rejoicing i don't imagine the tears went away but they were different sort of tears after this they then all came to the altar and it had to be the most joyful communion they'd ever experienced because as corby invited those people forward Jesus Christ rushed off of his lips, and he found those lost sheep, and he picked up those lost coins, and he gave them the forgiveness of their sins, and he brought them to a table where he would once again joyfully dine with sinners. You see, this is what Jesus does. It's this wonderful scene we even have in the gospel reading we heard today, and in the Ezekiel reading we heard today. You have this scene where Jesus is there and he's, he's eating with, with tax collectors and sinners. And who's there but the Pharisees? And the Pharisees are doing what the Pharisees do. Using the law unlawfully. Accusing and pointing fingers and going after those who they thought were sinners. But it always seems to me that when the Pharisees are pointing and accusing, Jesus just follows their finger and says, there's someone else I'm going to go love. There's someone else I'm going to go forgive. And so they said, this man receives sinners. Sinners and eats with them and Jesus then tells two parables he's like eats with sinners oh yeah I do that you know what else I do I search them out I seek them I find them when they're lost I'm like a shepherd who pursues them and scoops them up in his arms and takes them home to the flock I'm like a woman who has lost her coin this valuable coin in her house and I search everywhere and when I find that thing I'm calling up my angel buddies, and we're throwing a crazy party to celebrate that this coin, which was lost, is found. This is a trustworthy saying, says Jesus, that I've come into the world to pursue, to forgive, to save, to eat with sinners. Even you, who are the chief sinner in your own life. I know it's 9 11 today, and and, and I think a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us is seen and our first responders on that day. you got the, the buildings just collapsing all around these people. And you have uh, these, these first responders who see this, and their knee-jerk reaction is not to run away and find safety, but to run into the buildings and to save those who are dying, to run into the collapse and save those who are, who are hope without hope. It's precisely what Jesus does to us in our sin. The law justly accuses us. The Pharisees unjustly accuse us. But everything seems to be accusing us and falling down all around us. And Jesus rushes in on the scene. And scoops us up in his arms. And rescues us and brings us home. This is the work of our Lord Jesus. And it reminds us that we do not have time to sit around dealing with the specks in the other's eyes when we have planks in our own. When we hear the law of God, it is not our job to run from it, to flee from it, to use it, to condemn and accuse others who we think might be worse. You're not justified by the law of comparison or deflection. We must just let the law kill us. But then recognize that we have a great Savior who forgives us. Earlier I said that as you stand before the law of God, no one else will answer for your sins but you. You know that's not entirely accurate if you're in Christ Jesus? Because you see, you do have one who's answered for your sins already. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross in your place, there he said, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the one who, though I never sin, am paying the price for all of your sins with my own blood. So that though I die as the chief sinner, you are declared as the most righteous person in the world because you stand in my righteousness by grace alone. Jesus came for you. So you cannot look to others to justify yourself, but you can look to Jesus. For Jesus looks on you and says, you are sinners whom I love. He says, this is a saying that is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. That I, says Jesus, forgive you. I have rushed in this world into your ears right now to save you. For you are mine. Amen, we pray. We give you thanks, Jesus, that you save sinners. For Lord, we know we qualify. Lord, we are sinners in our own lives, the chief sinner in our own lives. But you are the Savior of us all. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness and your love, Jesus, that you did not let us suffer and die in our lostness, but that you found us and you brought us home. Help us, O Lord, to trust this forgiveness, to receive it with joy. In your name we pray.